I'd really love to explore the topic of lost in careers and lack of motivation in what we do in life. It's really just about the fact that we can identify that uniqueness and hold it. And the wisdom is that she said, if you can match 51% of the tasks you do, align those with your uniqueness, and you live a happier life than the majority of the people. From the city of Beaky Blinders, Birmingham, England, I would like to introduce you to Paddy Dandar. As the world becomes more automated and the robots take over, it's imperative that we build the right human skills for the future. So pull up a chair, grab a smoser or two, and make yourself very uncomfortable. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Superhouse School podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Dander, and on today's episode, I have an amazing guest. I often say amazing guest in most episodes, but I really do mean that today because even our conversation prior to kicking off the recording of this episode, we were talking a little bit about what we might cover today. And I'm super excited because I think it's a topic that I personally will get a lot of value from. And I'm hoping then I'll be asking some really good questions. So for this episode, we have the amazing Tony Liu, who is a London-based leadership coach. She has been coaching at some of the leading educational institutes, including Imperial College, Cambridge, Bayes Business School, and a few others as well that I can't pronounce. So I'd love to welcome Tony to the show today. Thank you so much, Paddy, for the kind introduction. Me too. I'm really excited to really impart some of the knowledge and experience I had developed. And hopefully we can bring something really exciting to your audience. I know I said that right at the start, I'm super excited about this. And just hearing a snippet of what you're going to talk about got me really intrigued. Tony, what superpower would you like to bring to this episode? I'd really love to explore the topic of lost in careers and lack of motivation in what we do in life. Because I've really observed many of my clients currently experiencing similar obstacles when it comes to pivoting careers and when it comes to progressing uh, and navigating their life. So I feel like that is something I'd really love to explore with you together and hopefully bring some insights to our audience and for them to make better decisions and help them create a better and healthier life. Oh, fantastic. And before we jump into the subject matter, we were talking briefly just before we kicked off about your background and the fact that you've traveled to many different countries. You've had this worldly experience. So I'd love to hear more about your background and how have you managed to get to where you are today? A really good question. And I think very often our decision-making careers also rooted from our family values, family education, and the belief system we carry in our previous experience. So I was brought up in a very traditional Chinese family and as an Asian from a little age, and my parents expected me to achieve academic excellence. So I was basically sent to New Zealand on the age of 17, complete my A-level. And interesting enough, at the time, I didn't thought it was quite a traumatic experience, but actually years later, I identify actually it was. 
But nevertheless, as the only daughter, I just felt like under the financial obligation as well, my parents pay high sort of intuition fees every year for me. And I decided to study abroad, graduated from university and started working in sales and marketing for some of the corporate business in New Zealand and Australia. And then at some point after finishing my university and started working in New Zealand, there was an inner calling to come to Europe and I couldn't explain it, but I knew I had to leave. I knew I had to jump and no one in my family agreed with it. I think they all thought I was mad because my life was extremely stable in New Zealand. I had everything I wanted, I had lifelong friends that I can always go back and really always been there for me. And so that nobody really understood why I wanted to let go of a very stable life and to come to the UK. But I followed that in the calling because I felt like the world was much bigger than what it was. And I always wanted to explore different cultures and different people. And finally enough, as soon as I arrived in the UK, I felt home here straight away. And most people said, oh, the subway and tube was extremely busy. And no, I completely felt I was home as soon as I arrived in London. And I've never regretted the decision, even though the start of my life in London was extremely difficult, right? Because you had start somewhere from zero and I arrived in the country in year 2008, which was the beginning of the financial crisis. So I was under a lot of financial pressure and to really reestablish my life from zero. But that experience really helped me to learn and let you go. Very often in career, I think one of the most difficult things was to actually let go. It's hard to imagine because we don't know what is ahead of us. But I always say that if there's a piece of inner calling within yourself to do something that's going to be very meaningful to you, then the risk is definitely worthwhile because what is worst can happen. I told myself at the time the worst could happen was just that I just moved back to New Zealand. That was the worst that could happen to me. I think I've been always interested in different cultures and interested in exploring the world. And here in the UK and Europe, just always been very dear to my heart. And it has proven really. I feel like I met a lot of kindred spirits, if that makes sense, since I arrived in the UK. And many of the people I met, I feel like I met them in my previous lives or I just know them. So it has been really a great experience for me. And along the way, I've learned a lot as well. So I've learned that not to really get attached to uh, what you used to do or what life used to be. When I first arrived in London, I had to live in a hostel because I only had like 7,000 pounds in my bank account and I knew it wouldn't last me very long. And at the age of 26, I just knew that I had to start there while I'm looking for a job. I had a comfortable life in New Zealand where I work in sales and marketing for some big brands really. And I think to just taking that risk and taking a step down to restart my life. That was a good lesson for me to learn in my 20s. And I'm quite grateful, actually. I learned that in my 20s. Oh, brilliant. I was going to ask you a question on that, actually, Tony, because first of all, I'm an only child. So Are I you? completely relate to having Asian parents who have high expectations and expecting you to yeah. do great academic things. I don't think I lived up to any of that. But anyway, we'll move on from there. I've got this sort of mindset now that with my kids, I would love for them to get out of their comfort zone more and more. My daughter the other day was having to do a talk in front of her class and she was really nervous about it. There was lots of anxiety. And no matter what I said, she was anxious. But what I found 
from my own personal experiences, every time I've put myself out there a little bit, tried something new, it's helped me build a little bit of strength or immunity to anxiety. I can't say that I'm not anxious now when I do a talk or, you know, go to a new place, but I feel like having those small experiences has really helped. In your situation, for a young girl of 17 years old, moving to a whole new country all by yourself, what were you thinking? What was your mindset back then? And how do you think you then had changed by the time you came to England? Because at the age of 26, you would have had at least nine years of really feeling uncomfortable. I think ever since I was a little, I've always been interested in foreign cultures. And maybe that was a bit of an uncommon thing as well. And that's why then I talk about identity at the very beginning, even now, even though people can say, oh, you, 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 are you Chinese, you are Kiwi, or are you British? I go of that because I feel like the more you attach to identity, over-identification always leads to suffering. You might be a fan of Chelsea Football Club and dropping penny, but what I mean is that you can't always win. And the day that you lose, that's where suffering will kick in. So I might be overly passionate about my nationality, for example. I could be so proud that I'm Chinese or whatever. But then the over-identification thing, one day or another, it will lead to some form of suffering. I find it's very difficult for me to call myself a coach or Chinese or British whatsoever. So I feel like these days we're extremely complex. For example, you are a dad, you are the only child, you are a very loving son, and then you are a loving husband, and you talk about some of the amazing things you're doing simultaneously. I think it's extremely difficult to do that. I think that kind of understanding early on, maybe my interest towards the foreign culture and the fact that my mom sent me to learn English when I was seven, that I've always been interested in Western pop music since I was very little. I think all those early experiences, authentically from my interest, had really led me to step out of my own country a lot easier because I was genuinely interested in it. So people think, immigrants move to another country, you get a better life. I, I don't agree with that. I think it's not about getting a better life, but it should be extremely interested in their culture. Just a natural sort of interest towards learning more about why they do what they do and why people would actually talk to each other in a very polite way or why would they shake hands differently or why certain cultures will kiss us on the cheek and they'll shake their hands or they'll give each other hugs. All of these human aspects just interest me in a very kind of deep way and I feel like I've always followed that. In a way, I think my mom wanted me to pursue my academic excellence, but for my own sort of interest, it was slightly easier for me to leave my home country because Genuinely, I had that interest. Similarly to my experience moving to London as well, I was genuinely interested in the British culture. I was interested in exploring the amazing arts, theatres and cultures and exhibitions and just all the creativities that London has to offer. And I knew that to seeing the rest of Europe, London would be a really amazing base. That was something I really wanted to do in my 20s. Similarly, when it comes to careers as well, is very often I think people make decisions based on the fact that, oh, I, I learned math or I learned business analytics and therefore I should be an analyst or I should work in a bank or I should deal with numbers. Actually, I was reading something really interesting by Dr. 
Aline Taylor. She is a brain function researcher. And it's really interesting. She said that in life, in order for us to be content, you need to find your bent. Bent is every one of us has something very unique, giftedness, so extremely positive aspects. Some people might have one uniqueness and other people have many uniquenesses, basically. It's really just about the fact that we can identify that uniqueness and hold it. And the wisdom is that she said, if you can match 51% of the tasks you do, align those with your uniqueness, and you live a happier life than the majority of the people, it's proven that you'll be healthier and happier and live a longer life. But unfortunately, I think most of us are actually adapting in life. Most of us have learned very well you know, in certain tasks we are trained at. I think if we wanted to train to be investment banker consultant to a certain degree, I think we can all, you know, train pretty well to do that. But the differences are that if the tasks don't really give you energy, because our brain consumes energy, right? So our brain constantly consumes energy because it really relies on the bloodstream. Um, so what it does, the amount of the nutrition the brain consumes basically feeds, it consumes energy. If we understand that the brain consumes energy, then the brain recognizes the best of the things we naturally good at. So when we adapt to the task, the danger of that is the brain consumes more energy. But if we tap into the things we naturally good at, then that we saving energy for the brain. And therefore, actually, it will create a more healthier and immunity towards wellness. Whole thing is really around that. It's not really about doing things that we are trained to do or we are trained from our educations or whatever it is. It's really about combining that with our uniqueness and without seeking the external validation. And as parenting, I think one of the things you mentioned really interesting as well is to really want to give our children the best. How do we do that? I think one of the things we should also do to ourselves is that we should treat ourselves. I mean, these days, everyone talks about inner child, right? Inner child healing. If we can treat ourselves as our own kids, our own children, how do we then make decisions differently? To identify the uniqueness of ourselves and what naturally drives us energy. And it's not difficult to identify them. So if I can ask you, think about your day, what are the tasks you like to procrastinate? Because if you identify them over a period of time, there is a pattern at the end, you'll be able to identify those things and you'll see them as things that I guarantee you, those are things are not the things that will naturally give you energy. For example, I'm really bad at accounting side of the things. Like doing my tax return is just driving me mad. As a result, now I just outsource them. It's really important to recognize those things. And if you can let go of those things and focus on the things that really gives you energy, naturally. If you can only just do 51% of them, this is what this doctor says, right? 51% of them, you can sandwich the tasks in between. And naturally, it will give you a much better satisfaction at work. Oh, that's so interesting and fascinating because I do some crazy things outside of my day job. And part of that is podcasting. Part of it is some of the visual thinking work that I do as well. And my close friends and family are always saying like, 
why why do you do that? What are you getting out of that? And yes, there are intangible benefits, like I meet amazing people and we have great conversations. But I think thinking about what you've just said there, I think that there's definitely an element of truth in what you're saying, because I don't feel that takes a lot of my brain power, like running this podcast. Absolutely, I have to think of the questions, but often it's a natural conversation. I'm not having to really try hard. It's not something I've studied for. And I really enjoy it. And it feels really natural. Whereas my day-to-day work is obviously a different story. And I feel it gives me balance. It gives me that balance because sometimes I do want to be intense and go real deep on work stuff. But then I want to be able to balance my day with other things that I really enjoy. And I think it gives me that. So I really do relate to what you've just said there, for myself anyway. I don't know how other people out there feel, but I think when you're in just solid work mode all the time, it can be really tiring, as you mentioned. It's really interesting. I've got some data here as well. And it's all about energy consumption at the end of the day. There's actually another research by Dr. Richard Kale. It says that the brain consumes oxygen already. It's 20% of oxygen constantly we need from our bloodstream. And if you force yourself to do things or adapt yourself to do more things you're not interested in or you're not naturally talented of or good at, the brain needs more glucose to function. So naturally, you'll get exhausted. Another interesting thing is really interesting to notice yourself. What past do you do really exhaust you? Recognize your energy level. Sometimes it could be just something that you can do them really well as in society that we train to perform. But if we simply perform and without noticing the somatic side of things and how our body feels, then that we are working against our brain, against our system. And as a result, that's how people get sick. Because there's a clear correlation of research there by UCL and the National Health Institute really on the physiology side of the things and our emotional wellness. When we suppress our emotional energy, what happens is that it impacts our physiology side of the things and it's directly impacting our immune system. That's how people get sick. To me, it's even a small topic and to say, well, I want to pivot in my career, but actually we need to think about holistically reposing our life in a brand new light that allows us to live longer and a healthier life. That is a fundamental of our life, isn't it? It's not just about the material side of things. I think our society focuses so much on that these days. It's about the material success and our identity. It's like, if I'm not a banker tomorrow, or if I'm not being seen as X, Y, and Z, then I'm no longer having a position in life, and then I'm lost. What I would challenge you to think is that try to let go of that piece of identity, because as soon as you identify yourself, there is a totally a limitation there. And Buddha would say it is an illusion. And one of the things to pursue enlightenment is to think that I'm nothing, actually. That's a good way to start. So if you think about I'm nothing, then there's no kind of this energy to please anything or to seek external validation, isn't it? If somebody wanted to shoot a deer in the forest, the deer is too big. So it can be shot very easily. But if I'm very small, I'm a worm, or if I'm an ant, then I'm a 
the one that can actually target me. So that's a nice thing, best place to start for someone who really had to go over their identity to just not to take themselves too seriously for a little bit and to ask themselves to just relax. And actually, you know what? People don't really care about what you do in life. If I say to people, tomorrow, Paddy, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to just be a housewife for a little while, do you think people really care? Not really. And another really interesting piece is also between the parenting as well. Another thing to find our place in careers in life is to heal past trauma, believe it or not. We talked about puppy before, right? I shared the story with you that when I lost my puppy, I was really traumatized because for a little kid, you can imagine it's actually a traumatized experience. And as a parent, maybe sometimes we like to comfort them. So we'll say, oh, stop crying. It's okay. We'll get you another one. Uh, what happens there is that a lot of the emotional validation is missing in a child's earlier childhood. Sometimes people assume all oh, five-year-old, two-year-old don't remember anything. No, it's not really true. I have clients who can remember very clearly the incident happened to her when she was six months in her court, where she mom refused to give her a bottle of milk. Can you imagine that? So actually, the earlier experience has a huge impact in the decision we make later in life. As parents, of course, we try to protect our children. We make the best decision for our kids. But along the way, without knowing, we are hurting them. Because as soon as we project our own fear and insecurity and unmet needs on our kids, they start suffering. So I didn't make my university and therefore I want my children to do that. Or I really wanted to play instrument, but my mom told me I shouldn't be doing that. Academic excellence is more important. So that part of me where I felt unique and gifted was depressed big time. My emotional needs are not answered because I've always suppressed how I truly felt. Even though my parents tried to comfort me, oh, the puppy died is okay. Don't worry about it. Don't cry. Like big girls, don't cry. Like no tears needed. You are stronger than that. What happened is over time, our subconscious become numbed by our emotions. People walk into the career option and goes, actually, I don't need to feel because I'm numbed. Because my emotions never need to be validated. Those are not important. It's about survival. Therefore, people choose careers based on the material level, right? And the social expectation, the external validation. But deep on the inside is past trauma, which really needs to be looked at. And the trauma may be quite a strong word, but actually it's nothing. Like everyone has traumatic experience because it's life. At some point we have loved, we have lost our loved ones, lost our puppy or lost our grandparents. At some point it's inevitable experience. It's not about really dwelling too much about what happened in the past. It's about what is the emotion in the past or emerging for us now doing to us? And what is available to us now and how I can respond to this differently? I think when it comes to career pivoting, these are the pillars. The self awareness piece. And obviously, if you're really not into kind of Diving deep, there are, there's 360s, questionnaires that you can use to identify your strengths, ask your friends and families, and just self-observation. What are the things I like to procrastinate on and what are the things really naturally giving me energy of? These really 
and give you lots of information, data about who you really are and what you're naturally good at. Another pillar, as I mentioned, is really finding out your motivations. And sometimes interesting when we speak about motivations, people think, oh, what am I motivated about? I'm motivated by achieving X, Y, and Z or by money. And again, I think motivation is sometimes, believe it or not, is strongly related to purpose. And some of the negative emotional traits can be a strong factor for motivation and identifying purpose in life. Some of these things come from shame. Um, vulnerability, um, past trauma. It could be that we've seen a lot of successful people have actually come from very traumatic past experience and therefore they wanted to change that outlook and to do that thing to help other people to achieve the opposite, to heal others. Sometimes the negative traits and whatever happened to our past can be a brilliant gift and present. So we say never disregard on the negative traits. Obviously, we don't want to kind of free them, but some of them are very interesting to look at. Really funny all the motivation and purpose. Then next layer I would say is really to heal, to heal our trauma. Understanding means the famous psychologist Eric Byrne and his work on transactional analysis, the parent, adult, and the child. It's really interesting research I found where he found actually a lot of adults' behaviors is actually based on their childhood experience. We don't realize actually we're around as an adult, but what we do is actually from the unmet needs or from our inner self, inner child, the past. It's really about identifying careers, but partially it's about growth and finding out our vulnerable parts, because when we identify that and there's a room for healing, there's a room for growth. Once we heal that piece of trauma, and then we can actually say, I know why I don't choose to do the things I really love. I know why I keep self-sabotaging my behaviors. I'm not waiting to let go of my identity or not waiting to allow myself to live a happy life. What is that is stopping us? A lot of this is really deeply embedded behaviors, beliefs, and parenting styles inhibiting us to flourish in life. Last layer, I would say, is really around the whole kind of healing base and self-confidence. We all have confidence issues and self-esteem issues. And there's some tools in leadership coaching that we do, so-called excellence. It's actually uh, similar to the work you love to do, Patty, around your work. And I love that so-called excellence. It could be a tool. Um, could you tell us more about that, Tony? So I suffered a big time when I had to deliver a presentation in front of a federal MBA at London Business School. This about 10 years ago. I had to deliver a topic where I don't have any expertise in. LBS is a top. I mean, global top three ranked these, and they've got some of the most intelligent people in the room. And I've never done an MBA. I've just got a bachelor degree and uh, I was never really into intellectually like a high achiever. I was never seen as I regard. And I had to deliver the presentation on the topic in finance. Imagine I wasn't a finance student, but I had to provide a structured introduction to those people. I was really struggling. And I've always been very shy. I never like to talk in group settings or whatsoever. I don't like to be seen. I really found the experience extremely challenging. Therefore, I had to seek help. So I came across these techniques is neuro-linguistic programming, NLP, 
approach. And one of the tools is called the circle of excellence. What it did basically is to allow you to tap into a past experience where you had confidence before. Probably not in public speaking, but it could be when I was feeling really confident once when I was playing piano or whatsoever, and I was performing the audience and I was just really in awe with myself and my audience and everything. And I really enjoy that. So it's about tapping into the qualities and the emotional state, feeling the confidence. And then we'll get into visualize. It's a bit of somatic experience as well, packing into your body, where in the body you feel this confidence in. I feel my chest is uplifting. I feel my tummy, some sensation there. It feels warm. And it, you could also get colors and people get different things. And to me, the color of yellow is very strong when I was in my confidence visualization exercise. And what you do is once you identify the things, propose of the quality of confidence for you, then you're going to take that state into this future state where I had to present in front of this 100 MBA. So what you do is that you step into the future and you visualize you are in that lecture room and you wanted to throw all of these qualities together and make them into a metaphor. Or you could just infuse the yellow color all around you. Or you could just tap into the qualities and just visualize that you are in that state. It's almost like we're putting a vessel on ourselves. You're tapping into this superpower of confidence. And then you deliver. Another technique is something that I learned from the West End performer. I was really into clowning performance and that type of thing. And all the West End performer, when we go to watch a show, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's such a big stage. But then when the actor and actress locate themselves in a specific spot on the stage, they could still engage with the audience in a very powerful way. Now, how do they do that? They use visualization to do that. What they do is all about setting the stage. So when you walk into a meeting room, for example, even in a Zoom setting, before I come to session today, I would pick a color where I could set my intention. I really wanted to engage with Patty really well. What color would that be? Pink, right? I would just visualize that, fuse that color in my room and in your room as well. So that's how the West End performer for decades of how to setting up their stage and engage with the audience in a large setting. So I combined those two techniques to help me with my public speaking. And that's how I got through it, really. And that's how I really believe in coaching and the techniques sometimes it really can help people. You can argue it, confidence building is a long-term thing, which I agree with. But I think temporarily, are there techniques? Definitely there are techniques. Because what it does is that it shifts your focus from fear and nervous away from your intention setting, from manifest to manifestation. And that's very powerful. Tony, there's so much there that we could unpack, probably three or four episodes worth. But I wanted to take you back to when you were talking about identification and identity. Yeah. Now, I love I that. For most of us, we're told, especially if we're doing some kind of social media work or we're trying to build our personal brand, people say, you need to niche down on your specialism so then people know what you're good at and what you're famous for. So if somebody out there is a coach or they are 
visual thinker or, or whatever the title is, how should they then market themselves, I guess, is if they don't have a very defined identity, how could they still see success, but without being labeled as just one of these? That's a good question, because I think the identity in Latin means sameness. I think the most important thing is not to go against your authentic self to be the same with someone else. And that's first of all, because as soon as we do that, then you lose your authentic self. You lose your uniqueness and you're staying away from your giftedness just to fit in or just to be part of something. And that shouldn't be the pure intention of doing what we do, right? What we do is because we enjoy the creative processes of creating, you know, podcast that is what we love to do. I think the more that you can find your zone, the more you can find your energy flow, where it helps your energy flow and where that is your true power, your superpower. I like your brand, by the way. And I think that is my tip because the other thing is about like, you find your identity and stuff. But again, to me, that's very a economical and social thing way for us to believe that we are someone. But underneath, the little girls and little boys within ourselves are traumatized, not really pleased with the outcome, not typing into our superpowers. It's like dead zombies walking in streets. The big you know, thing written on their forehead and go, I'm a banker. Do you think people really care? And this one precious life at the end of the day is ours. I think at the end of the day, the person we are responsible for, number one, is ourselves, isn't it? I feel like if we can sort ourselves out, kind of let go of the ex-validation slightly and to type into our own authentic self, then we can certainly go beyond just a pure brand identity even. But I think brand identity is slightly different from identification, right? Brand identity itself is a marketing tool and it is important that we are professional when it comes to marketing perspective, keep everything consistent and how we execute the marketing side of things. To me, that's really a marketing branch and branding branch. But I think when it comes to our individual self, our individual identity, is incredibly important to get hold of our authentic soul and not to be threatened by our own superpower to create something that allow us to be in the zone of flowy energy. Just before we kicked off, you were telling me a story about how some of the students that you have been coaching on some of the prestigious MBA programs, they all have the dream of becoming a banker or working in finance. And then you mentioned they feel a bit disappointed. Could you tell us more about that? Because I thought that was a really interesting insight. Even now, I still have students come to me and you see somebody studying something. Let's say that they studying actuarial management and they want to get insurance and that line work. And they go, oh, actually, I don't have a passion for it. I do this is because my parents will ask me to do it. Or like my father owned this business and they expect me to run their business after graduate. And they carry huge amount of expectation from their parents. I think one thing I would say is obviously we're not perfect, but I think as modern parents, 
we got to be so powerful with not to project our unmetness on our kids because it is manipulated. Because on the surface, it will be like, oh, I love you so much. I love you. I'll do everything for you. And then underneath, you go, oh, yeah, if you could get into Cambridge or if you can do this degree, then you'll make me very proud or I think that's a better path for you. But who are we to give any unsolicited advice to anybody? And the word should is so, is dangerous. No one should do anything. It's like, oh yeah, you should listen to your parents. I agree to a certain degree. You should listen to your parents. It depends. When you cross a road, it's a dangerous car coming. Yeah, of course. But when it comes to making life decisions or connecting our true authentic soul, should we listen to our parents? Because we carry on a lot of the family traditions, genetically as well, how we think, how we behave bloodlines and that type of things really into our presence. And I think the more we can be aware of who we are by unlearning some of those expectations being forced upon us and having the courage to choose differently, having the confidence. A lot of it is really about self-esteem as well. People can't let them be who they are because they feel like the power is gone. The superpower is not there. It was really kind of rebuilding that, allowing themselves to realize the dynamics of relationships and how entangled it gets, but how we then regain the clarifications by peeling off all these layers to see who we really are in naked eye, recognize actually these are my true qualities, my talents, and I'm fully accepted. I gave myself the power to be who I am, not to be ready being judged or being seen differently, that's not a scary thing. Because if you're not a banker, who are you? If you're not a lawyer, or if you're not going to be becoming this and that. Oh, it just reminds me of when I was starting my sort of journey beyond high school. And yeah. I was super creative. I used to love art. And my art teacher even sat me down and said, please make sure you continue this subject beyond school. And I left high school with this kind of dream of becoming a creative. And very quickly, that dream was destroyed because everybody around me was constantly criticizing and saying, why on earth are you going to become an art person? How are you going to earn a living? That's not a real career. And at the time, technology and IT was becoming a really big thing. And I then decided I needed to earn proper money and have a proper career. And I moved over to a technology career. And the creative side just got suppressed. But that was my authentic self, I feel, just hearing what you're saying there. And it's only probably the last like six, seven years is when I've rediscovered some of that creativity. And now we live in a world where creativity is embraced, like everything we see on social media is all about creativity. A lot of organizations are trying to be more creative and innovative and all of these good things. It feels like we've gone full circle and now creativity is having its day. But I have to say, from what you're saying is, I definitely were one of those people who suppressed this true authentic self for many years. 
and I can't complain, like technology has been great as a career, but it wouldn't have been nice to merge that with all of these other great things as well that I was passionate about. So for me, very relevant what you're saying there, Tony. As we're running out of time, I'd just get you to give us maybe one or two bits of advice. If you were looking back at your younger self, what would be one or two bits of advice you would have given yourself? Oh, I've said, don't give a damn about what other people think of you and don't be afraid to be yourself and don't be that good girl. Don't do that to please other people. I felt like I've just always been pleasing other people a big time right from, so I was an extremely sensitive kid. I think I was very in tune of other people's emotions as if I could read what they wanted. And therefore, I think as a result, I did things to please other people because in my culture and in my family, being the good girl is seen as to be loved. If you want to be loved, then be the good girl. And I mean, so I think I never actually, like you, I was really into arts and creative side of the things. And in fact, I never liked school. I've I suffered many years in school because especially the schools in China is very academic driven and is very rigid, hardcore. And I never understood why I had to go to school. For all those years, crazy. And I did it was because I spot survival, right? Again, it was about survival. It's about what my parents wanted me to do. And I needed to be that good girl for years. I had to play other people's games. And I'd say that, please be honest to yourself. Be honest to your feelings on the inside and having the courage to re-choose your life again. Because it's never too late. I have a friend who's an amazing glass artist in the UK. And she started making glass and amazing glass dresses when she was 62. That would be 78. I just thought it's never too late in life. Only just have this one life to explore. And if you can even discover just that one uniqueness and giftedness and be there to use that to enrich your life and to bring more joy and positive vibes look for yourself then what it does is actually it plants meals and it actually creates more joys around you one of the things i always say to students because they're like oh yeah but that's what my mom want me to do one of the things that i always ask them if you were not happy and if you did what your parents do and you're miserable two or three years down the line so would your parents feel it would be sad like the immediate also be like oh i think they'll be sad because they want me to be happy there you go. So what is really missing is the communication piece between the kids and the parents to express their emotions in a very honest way. And that requires vulnerability. They require us to open up and to be honorable, to be vulnerable, express our emotions and to say how they make us feel. To validating our emotions, validating our children's emotions extremely healthy because if we don't do that then the chances are the kids going to carry those emotions and behaviors into their future relationships and it's going to go run down the family line and that's not what we wanted for our future generations so it's about stopping here think about it it's about the responsibility first layer of responsibility towards ourselves but also to protect our families and to our future generations to see it in the broader sense if you can't love yourself. Some people find it, oh, I just can't do it whatsoever. But then think about it in the broader sense and how your decision would actually impact your kids and or your parents' wellness and those ones around us. Oh, great advice there, Tony. Thank you for that. And as we wrap up, 
I'd love for you to tell us how people can stay in touch with you if they would want to continue the conversation. And if you could also share one or two resources that you would recommend for anybody who wants to seek further support and help in this particular subject matter we talked about today. It's a really interesting point you touch on, Paddy, because I'm in the process of thinking about writing a book. It's a very early stage, but I would hope to bring more interesting content out there to the audience. Should I be ready? But in the meanwhile, I have my email address, ponyedonoff at gmail.com that people can get in touch with me. If you have any questions or areas you'd like to explore, I'd be very happy to continue the discussion. Some resources. I would say that don't be afraid to seek help. If you need a therapy, find a good therapist. If you need coaching, find a good coach. I've seen all sorts of instruments over the years and nothing has wasted my time because it's all about the drawing information about ourselves. It's all about the growth and it's all about healing. Life is very much part of that. I would say try different type of things. And sometimes people say, oh yeah, I try that, but they never worked. And perhaps it's just not the right therapy or perhaps it was with a coach, maybe you didn't have much chemistry with, but I would say just, just keep trying, keep experimenting it. As long as you hold intention to heal yourself, you will come across the right person, I would say. So that's number one, never be afraid to seek help if you need. And I really think that in our society, somehow it's been seen as a shame to seek help, especially therapy support and that type of things. But I think it's so, it's like, we all have trauma within ourselves. Like I said earlier, I mean, my puppy died when I was a little, was a very traumatic experience for me. And I went to New Zealand on my own, was a very traumatic experience for me. And even sometimes when I lost my grandpa, it was extraordinary. I couldn't go to school and she, she was very dear to my heart, but as a little person that you needed support and if you haven't worked on that, it would just build up into the adult life. So we all have a loss. And if you have a loss, then there is some parts of you that perhaps can be healed. And another thing I would just say is that there are lots of good talks on YouTube. Obviously, I love your channel. It's really amazing. Some of the techniques that you share. It's really good platform. But there are others. I follow this therapist, a family, family therapist called Gabamati. You probably know him. I really like him. I think he, some of his work and research is extraordinary. I really love his work. So I'd say that would be a good starting point to explore family therapies and the correlation between the parent, child and adult systems and figure ourselves better. Oh, fantastic. And uh, we'll try and post some of those links in the show notes as well. I will try and get those from you afterwards. So thank you so much, Tony. It's been a real pleasure hearing your story, your experiences, your background, and uh, it's got me to really reflect as well on some of the things that I'm doing well and not so well. So that's always a good thing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much, Paddy. It's a really great pleasure. And thanks so much again. You're a fantastic host. I really enjoyed it myself as well. Oh, Cheers. thank you so much.